So we only have, we only got seven weeks left of Reckless before the end of the year, uh, which means summer, which is good, but only seven weeks left uh, in this room. So that's, um, we're, we're coming down to the home stretch. And so um, if, uh, if, man, in, invite over the next, next seven weeks and get some, some of your friends or whatever that, that need to be a part of this and just discover God's love for them. And, uh, and then, man, Rush is happening, and we're, we're going we're gonna to lose our mind at Rush in terms of worship and, and some of the things that are going to happen. So I hope you guys are looking forward to that. So we are, uh, we're starting a new series tonight, and uh, the series is called I Am, in case you can't read. And, uh, and this is the series we're going to be in over the next, next several weeks. And, uh, and what we're going to be doing over this, the course of this series is we're going to be looking at these statements, some of these statements that Jesus made about himself, some of these things that he, he came as he was walking the earth, some of the, these statements that he made, these declarations that he made about who he was and why they have so much impact for who we are today. So that's what we're going to be talking about. If you want to open your Bibles uh, to John chapter 10, that's where we're going to be tonight, so, uh, or your phone or whatever you brought tonight, uh, or we've got it on the screens if you, uh, if you need that. So while you guys are, are turning there, I, I, one of the things, if you're like me, one of the things that, that I love is, um, is either watching videos or reading stories of um, people doing stupid things, right? So people that just lack common sense or they have common sense, but in that moment, they just lose their mind and they, they do something that, um, that you're, you're sitting there watching that or you're reading it going, are you kidding me? Like, why did you think that was a good idea? And so... There are, the best of those kind are when you get to criminals, right? Like those, those criminals, those guys that are robbing a house or they're stealing from this or they're doing, you know, robbing a bank and then you read it and how they got arrested or how they got caught or found out or whatever. And you're like, dude, come on, man. Like you had to be smarter than that. And so, um, so I found a couple of these, all right? And, and believe it or not, they actually tie, with, tie in with where we're going tonight. So we've... Um, We've got bad thief number one and bad thief number two. All right, so here's, here's bad thief number one. Here's how the story goes. And it's on the internet, so it is, it is 100% true. So um, bad thief number one, all right, this guy decides to break into a funeral parlor, which that in and of itself just raises a lot of questions. I'm not sure what he was searching for, but he, he showed up to a funeral home and, and decided he was going to rob it. So he breaks into the funeral home, uh, this is the middle of the night, so neighbors next door, they hear the commotion, they hear that, you know, the front door got broken into, so they call the police, like any good neighbor does. The police call the owner of the funeral parlor, the owner and the police show up at the funeral home, and this guy realizes the police are at the door and he's caught, so here's, here's what he does. He decides to pretend that he's dead. So he slides into a casket or actually one of those glass kind of things they use at a wake and he lays there and pretends that he's dead, hoping that the authorities won't notice. The only thing was, there were two things actually that gave him away. The first was his clothing. You know, if you show up at a, at a funeral and, um, you know, they're, they're nicely dressed, they got a nice suit on or whatever, and this was like homeless guy clothes, you know, all wrinkled, nasty. So the police are looking, seeing this guy laying there in clothes that don't line up with, with what they would, you know, how they would dress a, a, a guy that's, that's at his actual funeral. The other thing that gave him away was the fact that he was breathing. 
So he's sitting there in his clothes, and he's doing this number. And so the police, all they had to do was stop long enough to go, all right, what the crap? This guy's breathing. He's in non-normal clothes. And so they arrested him, all right? So that's bad thief number one. Here's bad thief number two. Guy from Oregon, Portland to be exact. Not that it matters. Portland, Oregon, uh, he decides that he's going to break into this dude's house. So again, he breaks into this guy's house, and he's you know, looting and stealing and doing whatever he does. And the homeowner shows up at the house while the, while the burglar is there stealing all his stuff. So the, the guy, the thief, runs back into the back bathroom, and he calls 911. And he says to the dispatcher, hey, you got to help me. I'm breaking into this guy's house, and he just came home. Can you send the authorities to come help me? And so the dispatcher on the other line is like, let me get this straight. You, you're in somebody's house that you broke into, and you want us to send, yes, that's, that's correct. And so they sent authorities there, and the cops arrested this guy, and he's a moron. But an internet sensation. So I don't know if, that's, that's maybe the, the bad side, right, of, of thieves and, and stuff like that. And I don't know if, probably for most of, of us, if not all of us, we've all had something stolen from us. Right, we've all had something, and maybe it was a minor thing when you were a kid. Maybe it was a major thing. Maybe it was something that was really significant that was stolen from you. And and when we get when we get something stolen from us, like that's a that's a that's a that cuts deep, man. You know, there's like a Taylor Swift song there or something. I mean, it it um, it's not easy to live with. I mean, that's that's a really rough thing to be able to go through. And so, in uh, in John chapter ten. Jesus is having this conversation with mainly Pharisees, all right? And he's talking to these people, and, um, and he says this. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So Jesus makes this statement. It's not all that revolutionary at the time. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Any thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and or destroy, now, some of them just aren't very good at it. Um, maybe some are better than others. But the thief that Jesus is talking about is really good at what he does. All right, he's not that bad criminal that you're like, really, dude? Like, come on, you got to be smarter than that. Like, the, the Bible in, in other passages talks about this thief, our enemy, or Satan, being very cunning and crafty, being very wise and very manipulative and knows the thing, our weaknesses and things like that, and he is out. His purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he has a, a lot of success at doing that. And all it takes is to, you know, a, a couple seconds to look at the state of the world and things that are going on on a daily basis. I mean, I was just watching the news last night and this terrorist attack in Brussels and 31 people dead and hundreds of people hurt, and you just watch this, you know, this, this airport and this city now, and, and in a lot of cases, the region, even the world, are shaken by this event. And there are events like that that happen all the time, where what the enemy's goal, what the thief's goal is to steal and to kill and to destroy, and he's succeeding in a lot of ways at that goal. He's having a lot of success at stealing and killing and destroying, and not necessarily just in a physical sense, but Jesus ultimately is talking about in a a spiritual sense. So why is it that the enemy is so successful at stealing things from us? 
Why is he so good at what he does? Here's a couple, I want to give you a couple of, of reasons why the enemy is so good at stealing things from us. The first, the first reason is because we are susceptible to lies. You and I, I'm not going to call us stupid, right? We're not stupid, but maybe we're just unsmart, all right? We're just, we're unsmart people, amen? We are, we're not always, we don't always make the best decisions, You and I, in a lot of cases, are prone to wander. We're prone to easily get lost or get led astray, to get enticed by things that aren't necessary, even though they entice us and they're attractive to us, they're not necessarily best for us. And sometimes maybe, especially for for you guys, you may be a, a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old, and the danger at your age is that maybe in a lot of cases you feel like you've got everything figured out, or maybe you know what's best for you, and yet in a lot of cases, so much of that is based on lies that you've bought into. And what you think may be best for you may actually be the worst for you. Now, what are some of those lies that we are susceptible to? If the enemy's really good at stealing and killing and destroying, if he's really good at stealing things from us and and making us susceptible to these lies, what are some of these lies that we may may be susceptible to? Here's a couple of them. Just see if you can resonate with, with any of these. Maybe a lot of us believe that my identity is based on what other people think of me. Now, that might be a, a big one that a lot of us struggle with, that we've, we feel like our value is tied to what he or she or, the, or these people feel about me. Maybe a, another lie that's tied into that one, especially if we don't feel like that they approve of us, is that we feel like I don't have much value or I don't have any value. And why you, you see tragedies even in our own community of a 12-year-old girl getting to a point where because of bullying and just because of feeling so devalued that a 12-year-old girl, it could pass through her mind, I don't have any worth, I don't have any value, and she could take her own life. Maybe another lie that we, that we buy into is do what feels good in the moment. Right? Don't think about consequences or any of that, but just enjoy the moment. We talked about that last week and, um, and how they, they actually do matter. Maybe we feel like when it comes to social media or something that, you know, man, no, no one will actually see this picture if I send this out. Or we think, maybe for us guys in the room, we think that using girls will make us more of a man. And so we manipulate and use ladies to our advantage because we feel like that that's going to, uh, you know, our, our buddies or, or other people are going to approve of us. That's going to that's gonna define us as a man. Maybe a lie we buy into is the more stuff or money I have, the happier I am. Or we believe that what I listen to or what I watch will not affect me. Or we believe that my past defines me. Or even maybe we believe the lie that, you know what, this is, this is my life, this is my thing, and I can do whatever it is that makes me happy. Now, maybe you can identify with one of those. Maybe you can identify with several of those. 
But these are some of those lies that we are susceptible to. And the enemy is really good. And in the culture that we live in, it's really difficult sometimes to not get enticed and to not get pulled off track of where God wants us to be. The other reason why the enemy is so good and has so much success stealing from us is that we are too self-sufficient. You and I are too self-sufficient. So a battle that all of us face is the temptation to be self-sufficient, to depend on ourselves. And we, and we may feel like, you know what, I can't trust anybody else, but I can trust myself, or I can do this myself. I don't need help. And in all honesty, I, I really believe, and maybe this is a, a, a little bit of a, an overstatement or, or a bold statement, but this might be the biggest challenge before you. And especially as a teenager, this might be the thing that stands in your way the most. Is feeling like, I got this. You feel like, you know what? I believe in myself, and I feel like I'm strong enough, and you know what? We, we put a lot of stock in our own intelligence, or we put a lot of stock in our own social skills, or in our athletic ability, or even in our own self-righteousness, to where we feel like we don't need anyone else. And in a lot of ways, this makes the, the first issue even, even more of an issue, why we struggle even more. And we feel like, you know what, I'm too prideful, and I, I just, I don't need anyone else's help. I can figure this out on my own. I can do this myself. I have a lot of self-confidence and a lot of belief, and I'm smart enough and whatever. And so we believe that we're self-sufficient. And the reason why that's so dangerous is because you and I were not designed to be self-sufficient. And when we try to be, it actually leads us right into the enemy's hands. So Jesus says the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But here's what he says in the next half of that verse. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. To give them a rich and satisfying life. And so Jesus is is speaking to the crowd, and in a lot of cases, he looked at crowds, and he had compassion for them, and he had something. He he saw that they were being led astray. He saw that the the thief had come, and he was having his way with these people. In fact, in Matthew 9.36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, when you and I are being lied to and are confused and are helpless, what we need is guidance and direction from someone who knows us and loves us. Someone who ultimately wants what's best for us. And that's what makes this next statement that Jesus says so powerful. In verse 11 of chapter 10 in the book of John, here's what he says. He says, I am the good shepherd. 
This first I am statement that Jesus makes is he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, when we hear, you know, for us nowadays, we hear shepherd and we're like, there's, there's not a whole lot of relevance there. Like, all right, I don't really know what to do with that. Good, Jesus, you're, you're a shepherd. All right, that's, that's cool. What, what exactly does that mean? And so for us in, in our culture, there's no relevance. But when, when Jesus is talking to this crowd, there was, a, there was a lot of relevance to them. There were probably a lot of people that were in that crowd whose occupation was a shepherd. And if it wasn't that, they knew a shepherd. They understood in that context, when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, it immediately clicked in their mind and they knew what that meant. So for us, a shepherd basically is a, is a caretaker, right? A, a shepherd is, is someone that, that provides guidance, And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, what he's saying to the crowd and what he's saying to us is that I've come to guide you. I've come to take care of you. Now, a couple things. What what does a good shepherd do? What does it mean for us? And at the end of the day, what really does that, what relevance and impact does that have on me tonight when I'm sitting in this seat? There's a couple things I want to make sure that we understand. The first thing that a good shepherd does is he rescues us from danger. So about uh, maybe six months ago or something like that, we were, I was here on a Sunday morning. It was the uh, third service. We were kind of wrapping up, and I was going to be going home in a few minutes. And I get this phone call from, from Angie, my wife. And she's a little bit frantic on the phone, and she says, hey, this um, a, a neighbor from two doors down is, is banging on our front door. And he's, he's, he chased the kid. The kid said that he chased him inside and he was yelling at him. And then he was banging on the back door and, and then he ran around to the front and now he's downstairs and he's banging on the, on the front door. And so I'm going, wait, what? What's happening here? And I don't know this neighbor. And so I'm, you know, but immediately you hear that and you're like, all right, what, what's going on? And so she says, well, the kids were playing out in the backyard, and they were having fun or whatever, and all of a sudden, the neighbor from two doors down comes running up the hill towards them, and my, my kids are conditioned that if they don't know somebody, they, ought, they maybe automatically think bad guy. So they're sitting in the backyard playing or whatever, and according to them, the neighbor comes running up towards them, and they just scream, bad guy, bad guy, and they take off running into the house. And he runs in, and they lock the door, and he's banging on the back door. And then they run upstairs, and they find you know, their mom. And so she's going, wait, what? What's happening? And the next thing you know, she, he's run around to the front door, and he's banging on the front door. So I asked Angie, I said, where are you right now? And she said, we're upstairs hiding in the closet. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, that's, that's probably smart. So I'm like, is the door locked? Yes, the door's locked. All right, I'm on, my, I'm on my way there. So, you know, at that moment, I don't know fully what's going on. I don't know this neighbor, but, you know, my family's under attack in my mind. So, you know, I'm driving down. I'm, I'm probably speeding maybe. And, uh, and I'm just thinking through my mind, man, I'm going to hurt this guy. What's he messing with my, my wife and my kids? What, what's he doing banging on my door? And so in my mind, I'm going, man, I'm going to mess this guy up. And this is, this is going to be, what am I going to tell the students on Wednesday night? And am I going to have to resign from, from the church? You know, so all these things are going through my head, right? So I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm dad mode. I'm ready to protect my family. So I show up 
at the house. Nobody's out on the front porch. I walk up. They're still <laughs> hiding in the closet. And so I, I ask again, so what's going on? Give me more of the story. So I said, all right, you guys stay here. So I walk two doors down to my neighbor's house. And again, the whole way there, I'm thinking, man, you know, this guy's going to get a piece of my mind. What's he doing? This is, this is going to be messed up. So I, I bang on the door, not, not too different than what he did to mine, and he opens the door, and I punched him straight in the, f- no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. So I bang on the door, and he opens it, and so then all of a sudden, it's like diplomatic, Todd. And so I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? My kids are hiding in the closet, my wife, and they said you were banging on the door. So he then begins to explain to me what actually happened, which was, well, your kids were peering into my back window, and I kept pointing at them and asking them from inside the house, hey, guys, go, you know, don't peer in our back window. That's not, that's not very nice. And they kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And finally, they were in their yard. And so they did for the last time. And then I saw them run off. So I walked out of the backyard and walked over to them to, to talk to them and to talk to you guys. So all of a sudden, this story of like my kids, my family's under attack. This neighbor wants to murder my family has now turned into my kids are peeping toms looking in the neighbor's windows. And it was not in any way what I thought it was. So we kind of, hey, I'm sorry about that. Hey, next time, man, you know, don't, you freak my kids out, my wife out, they're hiding in a closet. Like, next time, just, you know, here's my number, call me, or just come peacefully bang on the door or knock on the door, and, and we'll handle this in a civilized manner. So I, I was ready in that moment to rescue what I thought my family was in danger, right, to rescue them in that moment. And what a good shepherd does is he comes and he rescues the sheep, those people that he's in charge of, he's, he's taking care of, to rescue them from danger. Now, not just fake danger, but actual danger. And no matter how dangerous a situation the sheep find themselves in, the shepherd comes to their rescue. And what Jesus says to us is that when we are lost, when we are led astray, when we are pulled off track, when we are enticed by the lies that the enemy presents to us, and when we've believed that, and when we're sitting there and we're in need of rescue, Jesus comes to our aid. Here's what Ezekiel 34 says, and I love, this is so much the heart of God for us. Verse 11, it says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on that dark and cloudy day. Man, that so much communicates the heart of God, that God, regardless of what situation you may find yourself in tonight, that there is a good shepherd who has come to your rescue. He has come to lead and guide you out of that dangerous situation. He has come to be your refuge. Now, how is it exactly that Jesus came to our rescue? He did it by giving up his life for the sheep. Jesus gave up his life for the sheep. 
So in the Old Testament, and, and again, why this mattered so much to the, to the people that are listening to him, in the Old Testament, a sheep was the one who, whose life was given up for the shepherd and for other people for the remission, for the forgiveness of sins, right? So in Old Testament, in order for them to be forgiven of sins, in a lot of cases, they took a sheep and it was killed and that blood signified forgiveness for that offense that that person had, had committed, so in the Old Testament, that sheep was actually killed for the shepherd. And yet Jesus flips it around, and he, as the shepherd, is the one that sacrifices his life for the sheep. Jesus gives up his life for us. And in the midst of our self-sufficiency and our selfishness, Jesus displays selflessness. Jesus displays his sacrifice, his love, his commitment. He comes and he serves us. And Jesus gives up his life. The creator dies for the created. Such a powerful story and and, and picture of what God does for us. And that's how God rescues us. And what we just celebrated and, and taking part in communion, what we just sang about is the fact that God has come to our rescue. That we, like sheep, were led astray, but Jesus has stepped into our world and he has come and he has rescued us. And he did this by taking on our sin and our punishment and giving up his own life on the cross. So as Jesus continues talking in this same chapter, he says, the good shepherd, as we read earlier, sacrifices his life for the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. So not only does Jesus rescue us from danger, but here's here's the other thing that he does. He provides everything we need. He provides everything that we need. Now, don't miss this. It's not most things. It's not a few things. Jesus provides everything that we need as the good shepherd. What was it that the shepherd provided for the sheep? Everything. The sheep was completely and totally helpless and alone and in deep trouble without that shepherd taking care of them. So the shepherd provided everything for the sheep. He provided protection. He provided food. He provided shelter. He provided guidance. That that sheep, could, those sheep could not survive without the shepherd. So in Psalm 23, 1, a, a passage that a lot of you guys have heard before, the psalmist David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he says, I have everything that I need. I have everything that I need. See, David understood it wasn't his own self-sufficiency. It wasn't pride and, and you know, his own ability, even though he had a lot of them. It wasn't his self-sufficiency that he needed. It was, it was the shepherd. 
And the reason why he had everything he needed was because God was his shepherd. Because he allowed God to lead and guide his life. And as you read through Psalm 23, and it talks about what all that, that God as his shepherd provides, God leads us, God renews us, he guides us, he protects us, he comforts us, he blesses us, he loves us. That God provides as the shepherd provides everything that we need. Now, here's the problem, I think, for a lot of us. We look at this passage, and our version is a little bit different. Rather than the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need, our version is more like the Lord is the shepherd that I don't really need. And sometimes we look at what Jesus is offering us, and we go, you know what, man? I, God, I appreciate that, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty self-sufficient here. I don't really need a whole lot. I don't need your guidance. I don't need your direction. I don't really need to hear what you want from me or what you're telling me is right and what is wrong. God, I don't really need you to be my shepherd. I'm kind of figuring things out on my own, and I've got a pretty good idea of what I want with my life, and, and it's, it's worked out so far. And so, God, I, I appreciate the offer, but I'm, I'm good. How often do you go to God? How often do you look for guidance from the good shepherd? Is it when those major situations, those tragedies hit? You try to control everything and you've got a pretty good handle on your life and what you want but when that that one, when you get pushed far enough then you'll say, all right God, I kind of need some help here. I mean, is it, is it only in those moments when you're taking a test you didn't study for? Like, when, when is it that you go to God for guidance? Or do you look, do, do you and I both look at Jesus as the good shepherd? Where we know that our sufficiency is not in ourselves. That we need God's wisdom and guidance and direction, not just in a few things, but we need him for everything. I said at the beginning, a battle that that we face is the temptation to be self-sufficient. Here's the other half of that. But when we encounter the good shepherd, we find all of our sufficiency is in him. All of our sufficiency is in him. And that may be such a a really strong test for us to figure out, do we really look to God as our good shepherd? Do we find all of our sufficiency in him? Is he enough No matter the situation, no matter the decision we make, no matter the moment that we're facing, no matter the relationship that we're in, or whatever the case may be, that we're running to God and we're looking for guidance and wisdom and direction, because that's the only place that we have sufficiency. That's the only place that we have enough.
And it was the sheep that knew best how much they depended on the shepherd and how close they had to stay to that shepherd. And they trusted him. And if he spoke, they listened. And if he called out to them, they came. Because they may not have been all that smart in a lot of ways, but they they were smart enough to know that if they wanted to survive, if they wanted to experience a good sheep life, then they had to trust the shepherd. And if Jesus says, I've come to give you a rich and satisfying life, Do you and I live in such a way that we know the only way that we're going to experience a rich and satisfying life is to stay as close as we can to the shepherd? And when he speaks, we listen. And when he calls out, we come. And we look to him for everything that we need because we know that apart from him, we've got nothing. And the only way to ensure that we're not led astray by the thief desiring to steal and kill and to destroy is for us to allow God to lead us and guide us to that rich and satisfying life that he offers. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the good shepherd. Thank you, God, that more than anyone or anything else in this life, God, you know us and you care for us. And you come to our rescue when we're in danger and you provide everything that we need. And you loved us enough that you sacrificed your own life for your sheep. Jesus, I pray that for so many of us that, that, that are so self-sufficient, that are easily enticed and, and led astray by these lies, we feel like we've got it. We maybe hold you at an arm's length, and we feel like we don't really need you all that much. God, I pray that you would help us to understand how much we need you for every single thing, not just the major decisions when things are spiraling out of control, But God, in every single day, in the decisions that we make, in the moment-by-moment things that we face, that it's you that have come to offer a rich and satisfying life. God, may we press into you. May we trust you. May we depend on you to experience the abundant life that you have. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.